And I'm Dave. And this is Amped. Hey Dave, how are you? I'm good, Peggy. How are you doing today? I am doing well. We both um, we were able to meet up in Vancouver last week for a little bit at the AOPA National Conference. Indeed, and, we were. Um, you know, I think everybody is, you know, I know I'm recovering. I'm sure that you are recovering as well. It's a very long few days, um, lots of activity, lots of people, and really long flights for both of us. So I got home on late Saturday nights and did not touch anything electronic wise on Sunday, just played with the kids, slept, that sort of thing, and slowly starting to recover. What about you? I got back Saturday night. I got I had gotten in there actually on the previous Sunday night. It was a long week. So uh got back Saturday night. I got a direct flight. That's the good news. The bad news is my direct flight was back to Newark, which when I landed and looked at what the traffic situation was from New Jersey to New York left me with a good two and a half hour ride. Oh no. For some place that is about 50 miles from my house. <laughs> so uh, it was a long ride back, but I had, um, I had a nice time in Vancouver, which is a absolutely breathtaking city. And I was very tired and very jet lagged and I still have not recovered yet. Yeah. It's hard. It's these, these long distance ones, you know, I'm definitely not made for like the traveling life like that. I like to stay it's, home. You know what I noticed is the travel. So coming, I, I don't usually get tired when I travel, but when I do two flights, which I normally don't have to do. So when I flew to Vancouver, I flew up to Montreal and then over. And it's, if you have to switch planes, it's just a lot. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know why I travel all the time, but I feel totally different if I'm if I fly one place land even if it's totally stress-free like I landed in Montreal I had three hours between flights I got a great lunch in the Montreal airport it was totally at a nice restaurant and I was still shot completely shot yeah I both of mine had connections so but I totally understand that I don't I don't like the sensation of landing so if I can minimize the number of times I have to do that, I'm always a happier tra- traveler. Yes. The so, sensation of the sensation of landing, by the way, is better than the sensation of plummeting. Exactly. Out of the sky. Yes. So yes. you got to pick your battles. There. Oh, I do. I do, and I embrace it every time that it's happening. I just I don't like the feeling that happens in my head. So. Yeah, and we this, met some cool. We met some cool amped army people. We did. We did. Multiple. It was fun. I know. I know, and you actually were able to to meet some and know that we're not always just putting things into the void, which is an always a nice reminder. It's so startling to meet people who are actually like, oh, I I, I know you because I've heard your voice. It's yeah. very odd to me. I know. It's fun though, isn't it? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, totally. Great conversations, cool people. Absolutely. And they gave us some great ideas for some podcasts. So um, Hannah and Emily, we will stay tuned and... Uh, We'll circle back to you soon. Yeah, they're developing content for us. Exactly. So today's podcast actually kind of sprung out of some information uh, that came up at AOPA about the National Limb Loss Registry. Am I using the correct term for that? Okay. So in full disclosure, this is Dave's topic. He knows considerably more about this than I do. 
when he told me about the registry, my reaction was, why is this really needed? And how do we know that the information is secure? So I am the skeptic on this situation. So kind of the flow of the podcast, I think, is going to be Dave trying to convince me that this is a good thing. That seems fair. Okay. All right. Let's Would do you it. like to provide the overview? Uh, the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Defense have awarded a grant to create the National Limb Loss Registry. Correct? That's the title, yes. Yes. Um, and overall, they, they view this as an opportunity to improve health care for people with limb loss and limb difference based off of the more information that you have, the easier it is to kind of, of uh, develop content and to develop strategies and standards of care. Um, and in this podcast, we're going to explain what the registry is, dive into exactly what's going to be collected and how. And Dave will explain to me why this is a really important, good thing for the community as a whole. Yes, hopefully. Otherwise, the end of this podcast will be you staring at me saying, why did we record this? (laughs) No, it's good. I believe in you. (laughs) Well, hold that thought. Let's see see where we end up. All right. What a patient registry is. It is a collection of data about a group of patients with a shared condition. So registries are created uh, to accumulate large amounts of data involving patients who are all facing the same type of challenge from a medical standpoint. Um, So uh, some of the more well-known patient registries that are out there are in the orthopedic surgery space uh, for uh, knee replacements and hip replacements. There are registries and these registries capture patient data about uh, what types of devices are used and what patient outcomes are. And it allows researchers and uh, healthcare professionals to understand, is there a difference between a company X hip implant and a company Y? Are there particular treatment protocols that work better for some patients than others? Why do some patients who are 54-year-old females do better than others? This is the type of information that uh, a registry is gathering. Now, Dave, let me ask you, um, do patients know that they're being enrolled in the registry in those situations, or is it something that's happened like at an office level? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And the thought occurred to me as I was preparing the notes for this that I should probably know the answer to that. And the answer is, I don't honestly know. I do know that any information shared with uh, that goes into the registry has to be de-identified. I do not know, and I will, in an, in the next podcast we record, I will fully research and uh, disclose whether or not, uh, in fact, you can uh, you you need to consent as a patient, or whether um, whether it's something that can be done without your consent because the data is just all de-identified and stripped out anyway. Um, I should know the answer to that, but I don't, and I apologize. No worries, you can get back to us. It just gives people a reason to stay tuned to Amped. Yes. However, I'm not building the most compelling case with that lead. Not really for why keep- this is so important. I'm failing. <laughs> I'm losing right now. I'm losing. You're winning. Okay. I, it's not that I want to win. I really, I anytime I hear that data is being collected, I I've started to feel myself become nervous, right? Because it just seems like there's so many tidbits 
that are always being captured about every single thing you do. Um, and it's when you say point. it's de-identified, you know, what does that mean? So de-identified means that it would not include any personal information, your name, your social security number, your address, anything that can link the information to you individually doesn't get pulled into a register or pushed into a registry. Uh, the only information that would be going up there would be the age of the person, the, uh, the gender, and then the, the, the clinical information and the, I guess the related prosthetic information, uh, as well. So it's, it's a whole host of information that is obviously linked to you in that it, it describes what's on you, but there would be no way to track it back to you. And I will tell you one of the interesting conversations that we had when we were, we were actually talking with the, the researcher who was awarded the grant and he has gotten as a result of getting this grant has gotten heavily into the world of when is, you know, how do you protect information? How do you make sure that information isn't accessed inappropriately or, or isn't, um, isn't hacked? And what was really interesting was there, he, he was describing how there are real differences in when information is exposed. And um, I, if I recall correctly, he said it's typically when, and I could have it backwards, but it's either when it's in transit or when it is in the final location that it's it's most at risk. Hmm. Um, and, and I want to say it was when it was actually in transit. And so he was talking about, because this was actually a joint NIH-DOD grant, there are DOD people um, who are, are working with this on him and the, the, the kinds of encryption they're talking about and the security of the data is really a huge piece of what what's going on uh, in order to make this thing work. Now, is any of this information going to become commercially available? You know, like would pro would a prosthetic manufacturer be able to buy into, you know, I want every female in her forties BK. Can you give me their, you know, is that kind of information going to be available to them? So it depends on what's being collected, but in, in general terms, um, I think that the way registries work is that uh, if there are, first of all, this is a publicly funded um, endeavor. So the information will be available to the public. Anyone could go into this registry and pull information. Uh, but again, the information is not going to track back to a specific human being. The only thing that's going to happen is you would be able to look at how many 45-year-old females are be, are below the knee amputees, how many 55-year-old males um, use a microprocessor knee. Those are the okay. types of things that you'd be able to extract from it. But um, not my email or No, or no, no, like no, 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 no. Okay. Nothing personal. Nothing personal. Um, going back to what a patient registry is, um, no, these are all – see, this is what happens when uh, you get to play devil's advocate. The conversations are way more interesting. Yeah. No, it's just my mind is is kind of twirling now. Like this information, you know, you hear 500 amputations every day. You hear the 2 million. This would give a little bit more oomph behind those numbers to be able to break it down more too. Absolutely. I mean, the number, uh, you know, the, the numbers we always hear that are quoted are 185,000 amputations a year, 1.2 million people living with limb loss in the United States. I've talked to researchers who say, you know, those are basically 
estimates, and they're fifteen year old, I think, estimates. Yeah, this it's it's all it was all extrapolation. It's not based on any real understanding. It's entirely possible that the amputee population and or the number of amputations is completely different than what we think. So um, th- that's one reason. Uh, argument number one for the registry, Peggy. Maybe we can validate how many of us there are. That would be a good thing to do so we could understand the actual prevalence of this in the population at large. Um, but basically, the, the, one of the core benefits a registry provides is it allows healthcare providers to potentially improve the quality of treatment that's provided uh, because it allows you to establish across wide patient populations what treatments are available to them, which treatments ultimately lead to better outcomes. It shows how patients respond to different types of clinical interventions. So you can compare uh, different types of, in the world of prosthetics, you could compare different types of socket designs to each other. You could compare different types of components to each other. Um, And it will also allow both patients and providers to potentially understand uh, with uh, more granularity what are the best clinical options for a particular type of patient? You know, there's very little research suggesting that product X or prosthesis design Y is better for a 50-year-old female, but not so good for a 25-year-old female and why that might be the case. And so uh, the registry uh, registry helps with those types of analyses. And it also permits some comparative effective analysis. So you can actually look at outcomes using different treatment methods and say, is this outcome better than that one? And if so, why? And when you get large data pools, you can start to draw some interesting conclusions potentially about that. Okay. I'm with you so far. Okay. So let's talk specifically about the limb loss registry. Um, million award by NIH and DOD for five years of the registry. Um, That funding will get the registry off the ground. One of the interesting things I learned, however, is that will not be nearly enough to keep it going. So let Um, me ask you another question. I'm sorry, $5 million for five years. Is that $5 million every year for five years for $25 million, or is that $1 million every year for five years for a total of five? The latter. That is a great question. Yep. $1 million a year for five years. So that will get the registry off the ground. Um, However, it is very likely that more funding will be needed to keep this thing uh, viable long term. And that's that's one of the things that the lead researcher who I got to see speak on this talked to us about um, the need for uh, companies uh, in, in prosthetics like manufacturers and 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 prosthetic providers to help fund this going forward and us and there are going to be other stakeholders as well i think um doctors hospitals and the like and i'll explain why that's the case in just a minute but yeah it's going to require additional funding in order for this to actually work um in terms of the actual data collection there are um, it, it typically occurs at the healthcare provider level. The healthcare providers are the ones that are either pushing or pulling the information into the registry. So they can push it manually. You know, they actually upload patient information manually, um, or they can also have it pulled and, and um, that can be done automatically. And as we talked about before, Peggy, um, the data is de-identified to ensure patient privacy. There's a whole protocol around that uh, that has to be satisfied in order for this to um, work. So when you're talking about the provider level, are you talking about 
prosthetists or surgeons or family because I'm I mean not everybody is going to to use a prosthesis so where how are they going to be captured in in this data well so one of the things to keep in mind is that um, this is largely focused on um, it's focused on limb loss and while I think you know, someone who, anyone who's an amputee, in theory, should would hit the system so long as they are interacting with providers who were connected to the registry. So if you are uh, an above-the-knee amputee who chooses not to wear a prosthesis or a below-elbow amputee who chooses not to wear a prosthesis, and you don't go to your doctor for any care or treatment related to it because you don't, you're not interacting with them in that way, then you're not going to be in the registry. You know, that, that information will essentially not ever show up. Um, on the flip side, anyone who becomes an amputee going forward, if the hospital performing the amputation is participating in this, um, then yes, that data will get captured. Uh, so it's th- there's no sort of great answer to that, Peggy. But obviously, what the researchers are hoping to do is they're hoping to work with a wide swath of hospitals. Uh, physicians across the country, um, prosthetists, and create a pool from which uh, you can start to you can start to gather large amounts of data. Okay. Um, there's going to be four levels of data collected for the limb loss registry. Uh, level one is hospital data, so that'll focus on things like the number of amputations as well as the number of limb salvage. Uh, procedures. And one of the things about the registry that I'm actually going to read a quote uh, in, in just a, a minute or two uh, from uh, from Allison Cernich, who's, uh, who's led this effort at NIH. Um, one of the things that's important to understand is this, this registry will include not only amputees, it'll include individuals who undergo limb salvage, and it'll be doing analysis of those outcomes as well, with the hope being that in part, not only will this provide compelling information about people with limb loss, but it will also tell us something about how do we prevent limb loss for people who have both their limbs today, or all of their limbs? How do you prevent it in the future? Uh, So that, that ends up coming into the equation as well. But level one data is hospital data. Level two data is going to be the types of devices received by patients. I'm not entirely clear on whether that goes all the way down to product level or if it's more generic, i.e. microprocessor knee versus mechanical knee, uh, myoelectric hand versus body-powered hook. Um, Not entirely clear on that, but it will go down to a device level. Level three is patient reported data. So this would basically be surveys, Peggy, you know, uh, how how patients are perceiving their interaction with the prosthesis, the type of data that many prosthetists today are already collecting when they have you fill out surveys when you're at the office. And finally, outcomes data, um, objective measures uh, showing what is the impact of different types of medical interventions on the patient. Okay. Makes sense? It does. It does so far. I mean, I still, I would love to see a way for, for people who, you know, maybe aren't having issues with the residual limb, but do not utilize the device to still be captured. But maybe they'll figure that out. Perhaps. Perhaps they will. Um, why is this important? I'm going to now quote Alison Cernich. Alison Cernich is the director uh, of the specific uh, program in National Institutes of Health that is uh, overseeing this. 
And I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to now humble brag here. I know Alison Cernich. I've had the opportunity to spend time with her on a few occasions and talk with her. She's really super cool. Um, especially for someone you think of researchers and you think that they're all, you know, locked in an office and really dry. And Allison is absolutely, um, brilliant and funny and, um, makes great book recommendations too. She reads really good books because I've read several of her recommendations. They're all good. But Alison Cernich, with respect to the limb loss and preservation registry, said the following. She said, this registry addresses a significant public health knowledge gap. The information housed in this database will be vital to preventing limb loss, improving amputation surgeries, refining rehabilitation approaches, and guiding the development of devices for people with limb loss. And while that sounds at one level general and a little bit pie in the sky, I think it's a pretty good synopsis of what uh, this registry potentially could do for the community. Um, It can help us understand the causes of limb loss and ways to prevent it. Uh, It can help us uh, improve amputation surgeries because it'll collect specific data on what types of surgeries the doctors are actually performing. And there are very different types of ways to cut off a person's limb, some of them much better than others. Um, and there are plenty of amputees, Peggy, it's not something you and I have ever discussed, but who have a much better chance, frankly, of being successful due to the surgical procedure that was selected for them versus others. Exactly. We, we touched on that a little bit when we were doing the, um, interviewing your prosthetist. Yes. And we had it in, we have it in some of our information about meeting with the surgeon if, if you're doing a delayed amputation. So we did touch on it there, but it would be interesting to go back to that. Yeah. And then with respect to refining rehabilitation approaches, understanding are there are there particular types of protocols that work better than others? And in particular, are there different types of protocols that work better for some patients than others? You know, obviously the rehabilitation protocol for a 80-year-old dysvascular patient is probably different than the protocol for a 25-year-old traumatic amputee. Um, so, you know, trying to get the answers to those questions and compare the data is, is is important. And finally, when she talks about the development of devices, I think what she's really referring to there are the kinds of technologies that are most effective for different patient populations, the types of prosthetic designs that are most effective. So that could be anything from the custom fabricated socket to the components uh, that are assembled and the alignment and everything else. So, That is, in a nutshell, uh, Allison said it better than I did at any point in this podcast, why a limb loss registry is really potentially important for our community, Peggy. Have I won you over? You know what? You have. You have. Or are you just caving to be polite? No, no, no. I'm not. I'm never polite. You should know that. I do. Um, (laughs) I do know that. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) No, I am. you know, as long as as long as the information, the identifiers are not captured, but I can really see applications for this. You know, when when we were really pushing the draft LCD, fighting against that, um, it would have been really nice to have some true data. You know, behind us, contemporary yeah. data that you know, yeah. Although Imagine- I think it's going to be an uphill battle to try to get prosthetists and things to pay. For the registry, um, I I think that I I understand why you're skeptical. At the same time, I think at least among 
the prosthetists that I've been speaking to more recently at, at the companies that I've been speaking to also that, you know, especially, um, you know, larger patient care facilities that are, are really looking forward and trying to understand what is the future of healthcare look like generally, and then specifically f- as it relates to the care they provide for, for significant patient populations. I think there's a real understanding that if we don't start doing this stuff, if you're not going to invest in this, then you really are basically giving the keys to the car to the government to just, you know, th- completely decimate um, right. this profession because you, you can't, it's just no longer viable to sit there and say, well, because I have great hand skills and I think the patient is doing well, I deserve to get paid for that. That is not the way healthcare works anymore um, anywhere in, in, in the U.S. But, uh, you know, it's it's going to come under increasing scrutiny over the next several years, specifically as it relates to prosthetics, just like every place else. And so I will tell you, when I talk to prosthetists, um, the ones that I'm speaking to really, they're, they're trying to figure out how do I collect more data? How do I do that in a way that's not incredibly inconvenient for the patient, that is meaningful, that doesn't disrupt my practice and turn my practice now into just a full-time research center where I can only see a patient a day, which obviously isn't viable, but they're really interested in figuring out how to do this. So I, I, I think that there's going to be more investment than you might at first suppose. Okay. I hope I'm wrong. I hope so too, because if you're yeah. right, no, I it's, mean, I it's think, not good. I think you can definitely, I can definitely see the applications. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good thing. Well, so when is this going to start? Well, so not exactly clear. I think right now they're uh, the 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 lead, uh, the, the person who was awarded the grant is going around and he's explaining. Uh, the registry to all of the key stakeholders and he's, he's looking for support. Um, I think, you know, it's, you don't want to start a project like this, end up with no financial support. And then you sort of have a year and a half worth of crappy data that's sitting out there that no one can use. I mean, it would be better not to do it at all than to do that. So I think, you know, I, I think understandably um, the, they're looking to get some, some certainty around cost structure and around funding for it longer term. Uh, I'm reasonably confident that that will happen. I think you'll see, I think you'll see the major manufacturers and, and, and major players on the healthcare side and prosthetics step up and, and commit real money to this. Uh, Cause I think everyone in, among those groups will agree that it's important to do. And um, then it's just a matter of w- once it's up and running, then, you know, um, whether you contribute it or not as a prosthetist, you can get your information up there. And um, I think a lot of prosthetists, even if they don't have the capability to contribute, there may be some, and, you know, we make it sound like you're either in or you're out. There are probably plenty of companies that would love to fund this and they have a hard time, you know, making those payments. They just, it's not going to be viable for them to contribute for whatever reason. And so, um, th- you know, anyone who's in patient care in prosthetics will be able to um, get their data up there contingent of of course, upon my confirming whether or not patient consent is required. But in any event, would you like to try to summarize this meandering walk through the registry world that you and I just took? I will, because I actually can now say that this actually is a good thing for the community. 
um, which you know I wasn't able to say at the beginning of the podcast, and mainly because it can fill in significant gaps uh, in, in knowledge you know, when it comes to, to treating people with limb loss and limb difference, even as, as general as exactly how many amputations are there every day, how many people are living with limb loss, how many people living with limb loss are using a prosthesis versus not, what kind of devices, all of that information, anytime you can gather information and hold it in a safe and secure way, I think that's a good thing. I would agree. Okay. I'm in violent agreement with you. Yay! Yeah. And we'll keep everyone posted. As we learn more, we'll come back to you. Absolutely. All right, Dave. Thank you for bringing this and for, for walking me through it. Hey, it was fun. Glad we got a chance to talk about it. Thank you for tolerating it. Absolutely. All right. All right. Have Take a good care. week. Bye. Bye.